quickly. And then the woman's body will freak out and contort and go into all this kind of like, almost looks like they're having an epileptic fit as that energy expels through the body. And then she might start being doing these mudras with her fingers and her eyes rolling around the back of her head as she kind of enters these different realms. And then you kind of leave her and you know lie with her for like maybe 10, 15 minutes as she's going through that. And eventually she'll kind of come back to earth. She will feel that womb orgasm for three days in her body. As part of the Manifesto Men's Network, my friend Andrew Sweeney and I are running an experimental online classroom for guys on Wednesday evenings. We're going to be exploring a lot of the topics that we talk about in techno-social. The internet, digital culture, paradigm shifts, all of that. If you're interested, check out the links below. Well, well, well. So we are here today with Alexa Vartman, who is the uh, founder of The New Tantra. Now, we did a podcast a few months ago with uh, Paris and Timo from The New Tantra, which has wound up being one of our most popular episodes. Um, Just called it How to Have Sex, I believe. And of course, with a title like that, people are going to run to it. Um, But today we are here with the uh, with the founder, and so uh, Alexa, welcome. It's great to have you here with us. Fine, great to finally talk to you guys. Thanks for inviting. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. And so I thought, yeah, let's kick it off just with a bit of a like, what is tantra? Because it's one of those, at least to my mind, still slightly confusing topics when I'm thinking about spirituality. Like, there's people like initially when I heard tantra, I thought slow sex and then i heard sex without coming and then i've met people in the new age scene who are very into it and i discovered there's hindu tantra and there's buddhist tantra um and then i discovered there's the new tantra which seems to have its own flavor as well and uh, (laughs) i'm kind of curious is there a common thread running through in them and what does tantra mean to you well that's that's the question isn't what does tantra mean to me and that's why i came up with the name the new tantra so I didn't have to be restricted by the older tantric practices. And I'm not a big scholar and go back into the history and everything of tantra. But for me, tantra is a way of doing a strange thing, which is the sutric path is about renunciation and about restricting your pleasure. Um, and then there's other tantric practices which increase your pleasure. And you can use that kind of stretching mechanism in all aspects of life. So that's what um, we do with the no coming part you mentioned is we practice how to have really good sex, not just good sex, but really, really, really good sex um, for as long as you want, hours, without the and building up that pleasure to that most pleasurable point, which is if you look in the, at the, when you come, when you have an orgasm, the most pleasurable part for me is just before you climax. And so we practice to kind of edge and get to that 0.99% and just kind of stay there. And what that does is it kind of scratches that, sexual itch if you do that then you kind of get and you get so horny that you can get past your shame barriers you can get past your um, limitations and really open up 
then an interesting thing happens that as you get past your shame, you start to do all your sexual fantasies, um, which we've found for most people, um, especially women, is that they will get over their shame of, say, for example, their lesbian fantasies, and they'll actually go and do them because in, in my surveying of women and thousands of women, nearly every woman is masturbating to girl-on-girl sex, for example, mm. but they never do it. They're kind of waiting for another woman to come up and propose to them to do it. So they all kind of, many women will sit there and not actually scratch that itch. Um, a lot of guys, most guys aren't so much into maybe fantasizing about other guys, but a lot of guys are kind of quite sexually interested in the, in the penis. I mean, when, when you look at porn, most guys aren't just watching just lesbian porn, although that can be great and fun, but they're normally looking at a dick and a, and a vagina, right? So then we all come, okay, uh, what happens if you kind of really get past all your shame and so on? And we've found that, you know, if children are sexually active when they're young and they're playing doctors and nurses with other kids, they're generally touching both genders. Um, we've found about somewhere around 98% of kids who are playing doctors and nurses will do with boys and girls. And then it, you come later where as you get older, then someone shames you. Oh, you only play with the opposite gender. You know, you have a boyfriend or girlfriend. You don't do the same gender. So we get all this kind of, um, homophobic stuff often conditioned onto us. And what we've found in the new Tantra is that we say, look, we don't care what you do. As long as it's between consenting adults and, you know, it's just you're, you're both into it, then it doesn't matter what you do. And so we find, you know, during the first night, the women are all, you know, start getting into each other and great. And then guys might start, you know, touching a dick or something and, and seeing how, and we find that most people do, become sort of what we'd call heteroflexible. They'll generally prefer or, or have that same uh, the preference for what they've had before, but they might start to explore and actually enjoy doing things that are uh, off the, in their conditioned way of being sexual. So that's one example of stripping away the conditioned, which is kind of part of the ego, and going beyond that and finding out, okay, who am I really? You know, that's the big question, right? Who am I? Because we have so much conditioning on us that it limits us from growing open that. And we just use sex because it's such a charged area of life. But you can do this in every area of your life. You can really discover who am I. Um, and the interesting thing with sex is once you really do all your fantasies, once you kind of live that stuff out that you're thinking about, you actually stop thinking about sex. Not only do you stop thinking about it, you stop dreaming about it, you stop fantasizing about it. I mean, you still can fantasize, but it clears away your fixation on it. And that creates a, an ability to meditate and rest open without having those kind of horny thoughts and everything so much. So it allows you to go to a next level. And New Tantra has 10 levels of, of workshops and things. Um, we just start with the sex stuff to get it out of the way because it is such a big charged area for most people. It's hard to meditate if you've got a headache, but it's hard to meditate if you're super horny, right? So we use those these different levels to clear people until you can sit and relax and meditate open 
you know, for you know, hours and hours at a time, which is basically what I do. I just, you know, sit uh, sit at home and uh, you know, sit for maybe 10, 12, 14 hours a day and just be quite happy and blissful about it. Um, for me, that's that's kind of like one of the goals of this whole thing. So that's what Tantra means to me anyway. Fascinating. So like you go through the the whole sexual fantasy and the whole sexual drama precisely so like you said you get to this space where you can just rest in your emptiness and have your meditation like it reminds me a friend was telling me he spent some time in a in a very traditional very sutric buddhist temple uh all men and then one day a uh, a woman came and he said all of these monks who'd spent hours and months and years meditating just ran they wanted to catch sight of the woman and he found right. it fucking hilarious. Right. He's like, that denied desire has not been renounced one bit. Right. Exactly. So you're you're at you're exactly right. You're at still at square one. You could meditate for years, and you know it might be like you said, a woman. It could be a mobile phone that you're fascinated by. Right. It could be a, a car or food or having money or power. There's all these things that we fixate on that we and and that to me it, you know, has this bigger question why am i alive why am i here why do we incarnate in a human body in this realm and my theory is that we come here with these desires these kind of karmically inbuilt longings you know, okay, I, I have to have a body to have sex, but I also have to have a body to eat or to enjoy traveling or to enjoy having a family and all this stuff. And the question is, you know, when do you really do those things to absolute completion? And say, like, for me, I've traveled in every country that I've been ever interested. I've been you know, traveling for 30 years. Um and then it's the point where it's kind of like I've been there and I've done that and I know it's not really fundamentally any better than where I am right now. Okay, and you kind of scratch that itch and it kind of dissipates. You know, I had to go through a whole thing of cars and fast motorbikes and computers and technology and all these things. What happens when you've you've had a, got enough money that you've kind of bought everything that you've wanted and you've kind of then bored with buying stuff? What happens when you've traveled the world? What happens when you've eaten all the best foods and so on that you kind of get bored with eating? So you just kind of eat once a day just to kind of get it out of the way. But the rest of the time, you don't think about it. What happens when you've had, you know, enough um, possessions or you've, you've experienced almost everything you want in life? There's a lot of people that have done some of that stuff but very, very few people have done it in the sexual realm. When you have, you've done every one of your fantasies, but you've also mastered sex so that people will pay you to fuck, to, for you to fuck them. Um, you know, that's where I got where people were, women were paying me 10,000 euros to, to have sex with them for, for one day. It's, you know, 20 hours I was with them. Um, because once you can not orgasm and you can stay at very, very high levels of horniness, 
it allows you to kind of be able to empathically feel into what the other per- other person is actually feeling. So you don't have to guess and do technique. You can actually feel what they are longing for in that moment and you can kind of merge with them. And once the woman's body has been de-armored, um, which is, you know, I think you spoke about this, Paris and Timo, taking out sore and numb points out of the vagina and the cervix, those areas, the cervix, the uterus, they can orgasm, not like for five seconds, like on the clitoris, but, you know, for five minutes, you know, the, the womb can orgasm for 20 minutes at a much more intensity than the clitoris could ever orgasm. So there's ways with Tantra that you can open up someone else and take them way higher than they could ever take themselves. And you can go into these very profound almost like you're taking mushrooms or something into very profound spiritual realms, just through opening up very deep parts in the, in the body for the woman, that's the cervix, which is a gateway to the uterus for men. It can be through the ass through taking out the, the shame and the tightness and the pain in the gasp and opening that up. You can go into that. So there's quite profound things you can do with the human body uh, and once it's really open, once you've got to master it, it's just kind of like, oh, okay, ho-hum. Like, I always say every woman at the end of the sexual journey, at the height of their pleasure, the way the body opens is like clockwork and every woman's built the same. There, there's no variation in how the cervix in the womb opens up yogically. And once you learn how to put that key in the lock, it's, it's, like, okay, I've mastered sex, you know, I've been, you know, I've been, and that's for me where I kind of lost interest in, in that. So for me, I don't, I don't have really not any interest in having sex with women for many, many years. I mean, you can ask Paris and so on when we go out, we're hunting for guys, right? I'm not interested mm-hmm. in women because I know how to unlock that lock and I kind of got bored with it. You know, it's like, okay, you know, so many women have paid me lots of money to do it. And it's kind of like, I wouldn't do it for free. It's a lot of work. And then you're having to like try and pick up some woman and you know, chat her up at the bar and buy her drinks and take her to dinner and be nice to her and everything. And then go home and they have to do all the physical exercise on top of that. It's like, that's, that to me is just like unpaid work. So that would be the question. Do men have a more complex lock? No. No, no, not really. No, it's, um, there's a, you can have way more pleasure through your ass. Uh, Again, you could use both, right? So the ass and the penis together, it's kind of like the clitoris for the woman uses the pedendal nerve for the man. The penis is the connected to the pedendal nerve. So you can use that. Um, but if you really want to have full body orgasms and so on, there's there's yogically ways to do that through the anus, um, which we you know, teach on the workshops and show them how to do all that stuff. So no, it's it's also very pretty simple, um, but you can't get to those really pleasurable things unless you get really good at not coming. You know, otherwise you start to get very pleasurable and it's game over very quickly. So, mm-hmm. so I'd like to, to to inquire a little bit around the coming bit. So you mentioned that in society, people are usually very bound up with 
sexual thoughts and we come into this world with these deep longings. Um, but in Tantra, it's kind of counterintuitive whereby by not coming, you perhaps attain that satisfaction. Is that what you're saying? Uh, because it does feel a little bit counterintuitive. So by not satisfying it, you satisfy it. Could you sort of elucidate me a little bit on that? Yes. Yeah, so the that little spasm orgasm, that little five seconds or 10 seconds of spasm orgasm is quite an intense little buzzer. Um, and it's, you know, it's very pleasurable. But what I found is that as soon as I would come, then I would kind of lose interest in sex, right? I mean, you know, straight away, your kind of appetite for sexual for sexu- pleasure goes down. The person you're with often then looks more <laughs> ugly or not so attractive. Um, and it does seem to be this kind of repelling mechanism in, in the orgasm. I mean, it's kind of built into sow our seeds um, with, and try someone new and, you know, I think I heard the other, statistic the other day is that the average length of time for marriage these days is eight years. Um, I mean, I lasted 10 years, but I mean, eight years is like, it doesn't seem very long, right? Mm-hmm. Plus, you know, less than 50% or even staying married anymore. So the whole thing with, okay, what happens if we don't take that little five second intense spasm orgasm? That's where I say the edging, you can get very close to that horniness, but you don't take that cookie, you know, as we always say, have two cookies after dinner instead of one right now and not go for that instant gratification. You could, it, So you get close to that amount of sexual pleasure of the orgasm, but you don't actually squeeze the bodily base and take it. And that allows that pleasure to circulate more through the entire body, which is a more subtle but sustainable level of pleasure. Does that make sense? Yes. And would you say that that requires engaging in forms of pleasuring that are usually bound by society, that there are uh, ridden in shame and in guilt and in taboo. Absolutely, yeah, that that's exactly right. So, you know, there's you know from the there's a lot of countries that were British um, sovereign countries have you know still like in Africa and so on still have these anti sodomy laws. You know, where you can go to prison for like ten years if you're caught sticking your dick in another guy's ass. Right? I mean, it's crazy. Why would governments care so much about what two guys do in the privacy of their home. It's illogical because you can have, you know, normal anti-rape laws or, you know, you can't do someone against someone else's will. Great. We need that. Why do you have to have a second law saying, oh, if you stuck your dick in someone else's bum, you'd have 10 years in jail or something. It's kind of illogical. They would have to have that extra step. Why is that? The, the, I think the main reason for that is there is so much fear and shame and contraction uh, in the human body. Now, a woman will store that in her cervix. A man will store it in his ass. I mean, we can also store it in their anus. But a guy store that shame and that fear in their ass. 
So the fear of, you know, oh, go to prison and some big black guy is going to rape me or something. I mean, you know, that's that's my idea of a good date now, right? But that used to be my my big fear, you know, when I was, you know, an, a teenage boy or something. Um, there is so much taboo in those areas, uh, you know. Why? Why do? Why is your know, transsexual porn so big? Why is lesbian porn so big? Why is all these kind of shameful things? Often it's to do with an a longing to do that yoga, and that's why we in the TNT workshops they will de-armor the men's and the women's aliases, de-armor the cervixes, take the shame out of that, take the taboo out of it. It's like, okay, wash your ass out. You know, we have gloves, you know, have lube, you know, and what happens if you, you know, let a woman stick her finger in your eyes, guys, guys, in your eyes? Does it feel pleasurable? Does it get you over that shame? Does it, and then you can open up. Now, one of the ways I learned how to be a, like, uh, paid by women for sex is by being in that receiving position and learning what, how, how do I want to be taken? Um, you can read a book about that all you want. You're not going to get very good at it. You need to actually maybe experience what, what does that feel like to have a woman stick her finger in my ass or fingers or whatever. How does it feel to be taken, to be kind of dominated a bit, to be directed and led, which are all especially for men, that's a huge shame. You know, we used to work in countries like Turkey and the women would always come to us, oh, you know, my husband likes, likes uh, me to stick my finger in his bum, but, you know, he's so worried that that makes him gay. It's like, no, it doesn't make you gay if you want your woman to stick your finger in your ass. What's the problem with that? But there's, it's just such a taboo thing that, like, no one really talks about, but, like, most people are kind of masturbating to something kind of shameful. It's like that is the one big thing crusade I've had in my life is as long as you're having consenting sex with another adult, it doesn't matter what you do, you know, don't have any shame about it because often your fantasies are longings that could yogically open you up. So you're exactly right in your question. It's just those taboos and shames are limiting our yogic practice. <clears throat> so from what you say, I gather that one of the biggest longings that you've noticed that are taboo have in, in the case of men have to do with their asses. What about with women? Women seem to have less sexual shame than men. I mean, women can, you know, hold hands and kiss with another girl, you know, you know, guys don't generally do that as much unless they're gay with no problem. But so women don't seem to have as much shame, but they do can still have shame, especially around themselves doing things. So women might not be so judgmental about someone else. Like they, you know, quite a lot of women will, women will watch gay porn, gay men's gay porn, for example, um, or they will have a friend, oh, yeah, my friend's lesbian or oh, my friend's gay. They don't have a problem with it so much. But the shame can be more on themselves doing stuff. Like, you know, I think about, you know, girl-on-girl -girl stuff, but I don't actually ever really go and do it or so on. So, yeah, you're right. Men just seem to have a, a lot more of this kind of bravado of, 
oh, I'm just into women. I'm an into women. Oh, yeah, okay. Maybe when I was a little child, like three or four, I used to play with boys and girls, but uh, you know, I'll erase that from my memory because I just didn't know any better then. So that's what we find in TNT, as I alluded before, that a lot of people will just relax that whole taboo shame thing. And then you can find that you're quite different to actually how you believed yourself to be, which is a voyage of self-discovery. Can that be challenging for people? Oh, it's incredibly challenging. Incredibly challenging. You know, when you steadily find out that your self-image, which is the ego, right, that your self-image doesn't match who your parents would like it to be or society would like it to be or that you, even yourself doesn't perhaps <laughs> accept that part of yourself, it's incredibly challenging. And then you get this, you know, kind of, second life that you hide behind, you know, closed doors. Um, you know, that's why for one of the reasons, you know, that I, I cross-dress and I, you know, publicly and professionally, I, you know, come out in my feminine. Um, privately, I might just sit home, you know, <laughs> just sitting meditating as a guy on a couch, right? Um, because men should not have shame about their feminine. Women don't have shame about their masculine side. Women, women have been wearing pants and you know, men's kind of clothes since the Second World War, since Coco Chanel started designing suits for, for women. Um, but as I like mentioned in my book, I mean, if, you, if you're a guy and you walk into a boardroom meeting in a dress, you'll be laughed out. A woman can do that, no problem. But a guy, absolutely not. So that's why one of the things is I do is I say, well, why can't men have a feminine side? I think I look much better in my feminine than my masculine. It's much more fun to go clothes shopping in, in, or shoe shopping in my feminine side. I'm bored of shit doing that in my masculine. But why should men have shame about their feminine side? They think it's weak or it means I'm gay or whatever hang up men have about their feminine side that women don't. Have you encountered... Um, any sort of criticism about how you define feminine and masculine and associating that to primary sexual characteristics? Because we know that today there's a lot of conversations about that. And I believe that the way that you use feminine and masculine tends to be associated to the sexual characteristics. So have you found any, any pushback on that? Do you have any, any, any thoughts on that distinction? Um, I mean, I've been criticized. We've had criticism about almost everything we're doing. Um, but yeah, it's a hot topic right now, this whole masculine, feminine thing. So for me, I mean, I'm, I'm just a big lover and supporter of the feminine. Um, you know, that's why I you know, dress and present as a, as a woman public, because I mean, I, I love the feminine. It's, it's, to me, it's, the joy of life, you know, even sexual energy, I think, could be defined as feminine life force energy. I don't think there's any such thing as masculine energy. or So it's all kind of the feminine, not mother nature. You don't call it father nature. It's the feminine is everything. And I, you know, I hmm. worship the feminine. You know, it's not that I want to go and have sex with a woman. I want to, I actually get horny on my own feminine not the other way around. So, 
yeah, there's, it's a hot topic, this whole masculine and feminine thing. I'm kind of using it more from a very, very traditional baseline perspective of the feminine is energy and the masculine is, is consciousness, is the, that void that all everything, light and matter and everything appears in. So that's how I'm kind of rooting the masculine and feminine. And you can't really argue with that in a way. I mean, that's that's where we're, that's the base level of things. Um, and then how that expresses through people, then you get into all these complications and and what definition is acceptable and not and so on. So, yeah, I I don't try to get too much of that. I say, okay, this is just my opinion. This is my expression of it. This is how I see it. And you have your own and all good. Let's, mm-hmm. you know, leave each other alone and be happy. <laughs> of course. And uh, another one that comes to mind here is that, um, like, do you think that you mentioned a while ago that taboo breaking is important. Now, the way that I see it, taboo breaking can be very energy powerful. It can generate a lot of energy precisely because of the breaking, because of the transgression, because of that, uh, you know, that, that overcoming of a prohibition. But would you like, do you think that society's norms can get so relaxed that certain taboos won't, will no longer be taboo and therefore deplete that energy? Um, I don't know if, if this question is clear enough, but maybe. No, no. I, yeah. I think that is the definite definition of evolution. You know, if you look back what was acceptable in the 1950s, I mean, that was incredibly uptight back then and before. Yeah. And things have, get more and more relaxed. And yes, when you break those taboos, you do release a lot of energy. It's incredibly fun when you first do it. And after a while, it kind of becomes a little bit ho-hum and relaxed. And I think that is the definition of evolution because there's a certain point where you've kind of done everything that's on your karmic longing to do. And then it's like, you know, I, you know, I, can, I haven't had sex for ages now and it's like for months. And I go like, yeah. It's like, I don't kind of miss it, but if it's there, okay, then great. But otherwise it's like, eh, it's, it's not a big deal anymore. Like it used to be, you know, in my twenties or something, I could, if I went for, you know, six months without sex, it'd be like a tearing down the walls down. Um, and I don't think that's just an age thing. It's just because I have done that so much that it's kind of like, yeah, take it or leave it. Mm-hmm. Do you think that um, all men have the capacity for for androgyny within them? This is a debate I was having with a friend of mine. Oh my god that that is the sixty four thousand dollar question. That's a really good question. <laughs> now I have to be afraid, uh, you know, careful that I don't project my own stuff, right? But when I first started the new tantra back in 2010. I thought, okay, I just want to do tantra my way. I don't care about how it was traditionally done. I don't care if it's right or wrong. I'm just going to do a workshop that I wish that I had gone to when I was younger. So I said, okay, you know, for level one, we'll just teach them all about the theory about why you shouldn't come, how it creates a kind of depression in your mood, that it makes you not a good lover, that it, because you can't, feel the other person or you kind of come too soon if you 
get used to ejaculating or not watching porn too much because it trains you to come too quickly and so on. And then the, one of the things is, okay, I want to have a party where we dress all the men up as women and the women dress the men up as women and the women will get dressed really slutty and, and you know, black stockings and suspenders and corsets and so on to get over their shame and the guys get dressed up as well and just to see if, you know, how they do in their feminist side. Now, I thought there wouldn't be anyone coming to my workshops or just a few kind of weirdos. And when we started doing these workshops, you know, guys would be very reluctant. You might get like some CEO from a company who's like, oh, it could be so shameful. I don't want to do that. It's like, okay, you don't have to, but if you want to, try it. And the women really enjoy like having a Barbie doll to dress up, <laughs> right? Um, dress Ken up as a Barbie doll. Great. And then after like 10 minutes of being out there, the guys are like dancing and feeling a kind of joy and so on in their feminine side that they haven't ever felt before. And everyone just got into it and it would just become this huge party that became one of our, you know, flagship workshops to do is, okay, let's dress the guys up. Uh, everyone get have a big what we call slut party. And I found that, you know, now we may have a kind of audience that is open to that, obviously, um, but we don't get anyone pushing back on that anymore. People just, once they get into it, they just love it um, because there is a certain level of relaxation and carefree fun that a guy can have in his feminine side that you can't have in your masculine side. So maybe everyone has that capacity. I don't know. Um, but it's certainly in our people who come to our workshops seem to now they've probably heard about it before and that's why they're coming. So it's, it's hard to know. I don't know really if everyone has that capacity, but I would suspect maybe, maybe 90%, 95% of guys, if they actually had no shame, if they were brought up in a culture uh, in a world where men and women would change, uh, which we might be in, you know, 100 years or 200, 500 years from now. In Star Trek, you know, Gene Roddenberry, whatever his name is, puts guys walking around there also in their uniforms with skirts on. Uh, maybe he really is a visionary. <laughs> uh, maybe it will be very common for men in the future to be in their feminine side also and not have shame about it. I hope so. Mm, yeah. It, I mean, it's like I said, I was just having a discussion with my friend Cattle Lost about it. Um, I think partly inspired by the fact that we hang around with our mutual friend Alexander Bard and like. Oh, love friends. Alexander. Yes. He's great. Right. Cattle and him are in the, in the Alps at the moment, fucking writing the next philosophy masterpiece i think so i'm fucking i think uh, he's right now as we're speaking actually so. right he's <laughs> such an interesting character yes yeah he's fascinating and uh, such a big part of his philosophy is around archetypes right right and so he's like theorizing that there are androgynous archetypes and then there are like androgynous priestly archetypes and then there's very more what you might think of more like traditional masculine archetypes like warriors and hunters and so forth yes. and what they play out as today and i guess what we were wondering is uh, whether for say a man in like a very warrior archetype like let's take a guy who's a soldier for example about as masculine as you can get 
would a tantric androgynous practice be of any benefit to that? I mean, question one, would he get anywhere near it? I don't know. Um, two, would it be of any benefit to him? Again, I don't know. That was just kind of what we were riffing around. Yes. Uh, again, I can only give my experience in this, but I've found that I was able to get stronger in my masculine when I embrace my feminine side more, which sounds, you know, kind of illogical, but, you know, I don't know if about the soldier doing it, but I certainly found that I could, you know, be riding motorbikes or I could tough it out or I could, you know, be kite surfing or mountain climbing or whatever more kind of macho things. You know, I did a lot of karate for many years. I found that I could be stronger in my masculine out of the bed, but also in the bed, I could be more present and directive if I had gone into my feminine side very strongly also. And the stronger I got my feminine, the stronger my masculine side got. And that's why in, in the new tantra, we recommend switching because if a guy is, and you know, just talking sexually, because it's a very obvious way to illustrated if a guy is doing all the work all the push-ups you know the putting spending the energy and being present for the woman and opening her up sooner or later he's going to run out of charge he's going to run out of energy and that's why i mentioned before the feminine is, is energy like she's lying there in a heterosexual scenario receiving the the guy um, and kind of enjoying that, and she's getting more and more full of energy and so on, there's a point where he'll just be depleted, like one battery draining and charging up the other one. If you want to be able to, like, you know, fuck for like 20 hours or whatever, like you know, I used to do, you have to be able to switch back and forwards. I mean, after half an hour, an hour or something, you need to be in the feminine to get your batteries recharged. And I found that not just in, in the bed, but also in life. If you're just, you know, and maybe that explains why these CEOs or these very powerful executives that will then go to an extreme level of like BDSM submission or something to a mistress to really get their batteries recharged there. Maybe that's one way. And I think that should be part of a society that has no shame about it. It's like, you're always in a dominating position or directing position. Sometimes you want to surrender and be let. It doesn't mean you have to put a dress on, but just to be directed, told what to do. You're my little play sexual toy now. It's your turn to receive. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if it's for every. That's why I say maybe 90, 95% of men that might work for, but there might be a small percentage of guys that it's just that just would never work for them being in their feminine. And that's cool. We don't need to be one or the other. Um, so, yeah, that's my take. Hmm. What does it look like to fuck someone for 20 hours? Then? <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, I'll, I'll just, I'll briefly explain one of the 10,000 euro sessions. So, Typically, I would come in and in my masculine, it would be a woman who's generally, you know, pretty well off, rich woman, obviously. Um, 
often it would be the husband or the boyfriend would pay also uh, because he wanted to learn how to really fuck his woman really well. So I would come in and often I would start with a woman and I would come in my masculine and I would say, okay, you know, and we both get sexually tested and show you certificates to each other and everything so that you can kind of be free because it's hard to do the energy transfer stuff and be you know, fucking for hours and hours with condoms and things, right? So you get sexually tested for all the, every single STD uh, and then you get consent, you get, you know, sign forms and so on. And, and then you say, okay, now, would are you would you like to surrender because I, I you look pretty fucking hot to me and I'd really like to take you and then I just would go super masculine it's like okay yeah you 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 want to me to uh, be rather dominant yes 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 okay and you get consent you make sure they're kind of yeah. and then I would kind of very much mentally dominate them it's like okay then that means that I'm gonna fuck the shit out of you and you're gonna be my little girl because I think you want to be fucked like a little slut. Is that right? And they go like, yeah. Okay, okay, cool. Good. Take your clothes off. Right. And then I would just dominate the way that I wish guys would do that to me. Mm. You know, I don't want a guy to say, hey, kid, you know, do you kind of you kind of want to be sexual now? Should we play around it? I don't know. Do you? I don't know. Do you like no, just fucking take me? Fuck me. You know, <laughs> because the the deepest expression of the feminine, once she's loved and honored and cherished and knows she's safe and it's all consensual and so on, if the guy's just super nice all the time, she's going to get bored with that. Mm. So there's a point where the woman really wants to be allowed to get over her shame of being a dirty little girl and be really fucked. So then that's what I would do. I would make sure that her vagina has been de-armored prior so, so you'd have to do all that in the session. Um, and then I would, I wouldn't sit there and worry about foreplay and all that stuff. I mean, the woman should be wet and longing just for you talking to her, looking her in the eye and say, okay, right, turn around, show me your ass. Yeah, oh, I'm going to fuck that so hard. Oh, my God, you're fucking hot. Look at that ass, look at your body, look, legs. Put this on, dress up, you're my sex toy. Put these stockings on. I want to see you in a corset. I want you to pull your hair back. I want you, you know, dress up for me because you're you're my sex toy right now. And it sounds kind of this is like it sounds so kind of wrong, you know, that oh you're going to be my sex object. That's in my feminine. I want to be that guy's sex object. I want to be there that he's desiring me. Um. So then I would do that. I, then I would fuck the shit out of her, which is okay. You, you, once the cervix is de-armored, my dick will go straight away to the cervix. It doesn't, you know, so I don't sit there licking their clitoris or, you know, fiddling with their boobs or whatever too much. I'm kind of looking at her and I'm sliding in slowly in her and then I'm making sure that she's, her cervix is de-armored and then I'll slowly and gently start to, with not much movement at all, I'll start to like bump against the cervix and move energy into her cervix and check that there's no pain there. And normally if you put your dick on a woman's cervix that hasn't been de-armored, it's like sticking a knife into her. It hurts like hell. 
So you have to take that numbness and that pain out of the cervix. But once you do it, it's incredibly intensely horny part of the world. It's probably the most horny part of a whole woman's body. And then you just kind of like, you know, you don't have to move a lot. You don't have to do a whole bunch of pumping and this and that. You just kind of bump against the cervix. And then I will talk to her and I'll make her or invite her to own her slutty side. It's like, okay, you like that? Yeah, you like that? You you what you really want me to fuck? Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> so you want me to fuck you a little bit harder? Yes, uh, like yes. yes, yeah, yeah, a little bit harder. Okay, like you want to be fucked like this? And then you build it up over time. So maybe in 20 minutes, once there, there'll be a point where that woman will just be going completely out of her mind. And then I'll be like fuck talking the whole time. See, men are more visual, women, and this is a generalization, are generally more auditory. They need to hear what you're doing. They want to hear you say, okay, you, you, want, you really want to be fucked like a dirty little girl, like this bang. Like, yeah, you like this. You mean you want to be fucked this hard? Like like the really dirty girls? Bang, 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 bang. Yeah, 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 like that. Bang, 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 bang. And then you just like fuck the shit out of her. Well, I call it mashing the potatoes. And you just fuck the shit out of that cervix, bang, 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 until their uterus is just shaking and orgasming. And that vibrating orgasm of the womb will start going through their whole body. And then it's just like going to the gym. It's like running a marathon. It's like bang, 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 bang. You dirty girl, bang, 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 bang. And you do that for like 20 minutes or as long as you can. And then you kind of like, you know, for, for once she's been womb orgasming for 20 minutes, full body orgasm, her eyes are rolling around the back of her head. The vagina will fart and expel air like an accordion. It will blow up with air and then it'll push it out. This, the, you, the woman can be softly ejaculating liquid onto the penis which comes out through the urethra as she softly. So the womb orgasm has very, very specific ways that you know she's womb orgasming. And then she will kind of, you know, then when you stop and you can have periods where you still or what, and then when you kind of, I will pull that quite quick. And then you've kind of run that marathon. And then if you want to continue, you have to then switch. And that's when I would go and say, okay, good, let's have a break. You go have a day, and then I would go and get dressed up in my feminine, and then um, she would do basically that to me in reverse. You know, she would peg me or something, um, and I would then go through that same process myself. And then I would, you know, go back. In, we'd maybe do some lesbian stuff, some very gentle, soft, moving stuff because lesbian sex is hot to watch. It's porn, but it's ten times better to do it yourself with a woman. To be two girls together, it's it's incredible. So wow, you've got that. I've not tried that. It's it's incredible. It's so. I mean, there is really horny stuff in the the homosexual stuff, like being two lesbian women together. It's, it's a, as I said, it's so much better than just watching it. And you the you know, the way like I would notice that I would kiss differently, I would touch differently, I would it'd be so much softer, it'd be like this kind of dolphin sex thing. It, it was something that I'd never experienced before as, you know, growing up as a straight Australian guy. It was immensely like a whole world of pleasure that I had never experienced before, to be two girls together, playing together. So do that for a while. 
and then I'd go back into we were more gassing her. And then that's generally when we'd bring in the boyfriend and the husband that could be watching us do lesbian stuff or what, and then learning how to allow his woman to womb orgasm. So often I'd get her womb orgasm and I'd go, okay, quick, come, quick, jump in there. And now bang, 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 bang on the cervix. So he could see his wife womb orgasming on the end of his dick. That is an incredibly, incredibly horny experience to see a woman fully, fully letting go in a full body orgasm on the end of your dick. There is no greater pleasure. And that's the problem is that you have to be good as a man of not coming. You have to have trained yourself to be masturbating for you know, an hour or two at that point of not coming. So that when you've got a woman who's womb orgasming on the end of your dick, that's that's the actual yoga for the man. That's where he proves his mettle. Because most guys, if you stick your dick in that woman who's womb orgasming, you'll come in an instant. You can't help it. It's like a waterfall of sexual energy flowing through your body. You have to get very, very good at circulating energy backwards away from your dick into your tailbone to go up your spine. And the roadblock between those two points is the anus. If your anus cannot feel immense amounts of pleasure, it doesn't mean you have to have something in there. If your ass is not totally relaxed, being able to feel immense pleasure, that energy will get stuck in your dick and you'll just come straight away without wanting to. So that's where you have to really allow the energy to move back into the tailbone and it'll go up the spine itself. People think, oh, how do I move energy around through my spine? You don't have to. It will move up by itself so long as you can allow it to cross that barrier of the anus. And then once she's orgasming, if you can pull the energy through your body, you will feel her orgasmic energy through your own body. That's why you can lie still and just lie in her. And that's how you can have sex for, you know, 10 hours or something, is you can then just be receiving energy through your penis, through her orgasming into you, through your body. And then you can circulate energy between the two of you. And that's when you can go to these incredibly divine, beautiful realms without having to expel a lot of energy. And that's where you can, good tantric sex is the equivalent to, to sleeping. You can, five hours of good tantric sex is like five hours of fucking. So, you know, quite often we would just not sleep. Um, but you're not tired the next day because you've been receiving so much energy. Now, obviously, after a while, you need to dream and so on. So what we often do in that session is after you've been having sex for maybe like, 10 hours is then you'd sleep for a few hours. Yeah. Rest your body, let yourself dream. And then after two or three hours, you might be all ready again. And then you go again. So you have a small sleep in that, but it's basically 20 hours minus three, three or four hours of resting. It's like your know, 16, 17 hours of pretty solid bucking. And that's why they would pay 10,000 euros for that to learn how to full body orgasm and go into tantric realms of sexual pleasure that they've never experienced before. And once you've done it once that doorway is kind of open, once a couple can do that, it's actually quite easy to do it. I mean, it's like if I you know, ever have sex with a woman, which is very rare these days, but if I do, I mean, it'll always happen. It's just, you've that's the natural evolution of the human sexual body is to fully full body orgasm for the womb, the cervix to orgasm for the guy to be able to move energy through his body. That's just natural. It's human sexuality is such at a base low level 
of the way most of us have sex in society. It's it's like kindergarten. It's like, oh, you know, you, you rub your dick and then, you know, sperm comes out of it and that feels good. Or you, know, you rub your clitoris and you have five seconds. I mean, it's so low level. It's so basic. Um, and that's why I always say to guys, like, you know, I'm not so interested in, like, having sex with women or anything. You guys learn this stuff because if you learn how to do that with a woman, you are like Superman. You know, we have gigolos, you know, Timo that you spoke to and Diesel and these other guys that we train, they get paid to go and fuck women. I mean, what a great job, right? Mm. Anyone, anyone can do that. It is just, it's just once you learn the tantric techniques, they work and they work incredibly well. So not coming, womb orgasms, circulating energy as a man up your spine. Yep. And, and that's why you know, everyone focuses tantra, it's about sex. No, it's not. It's about moving energy and, and not taking instant gratification, you know, renunciation of that orgasm, which is one of the most difficult things to do is, is to not come. Because, you know, one thing is you kind of lose your interest in sex. You kind of, for me, it makes me kind of grumpy for about two and a half weeks kind of makes me a little bit, I don't notice for the first couple of days after an orgasm, but if I have a miss, I'll notice. And the girls like Paris did this experiment the other day where she like came like 10 times on her clear. And then she's like, Oh, I got suicidally depressed. She said like after doing that experiment for about two and a half weeks, and then you get out of that mood and you get happy again, but there does seem to be some mood changing thing in the orgasm. And that's not proven in science. That's just what we have experienced ourselves. So the whole renunciation thing, but the main reason for renunciation is that if you've just come as a guy in the last few days, it's very hard to not have that muscle clench and spasm again. But after about two and a half weeks, that orgasm clenching thing gets easier not to do. And the longer you don't do it, the easier not to come become. So we've had a lot of guys who have premature ejaculation problems coming along, excuse me, coming to our workshops. Um, and they will find that once they start doing the renunciation thing, if they can you know, just like not masturbate, just not touch their dick you know, for a while, you'd think you'd get more sensitive and more horny. But in fact, the opposite is true that, I mean, I just did like about a, a year or a year and a half or something of not having any any ejaculation, no mistakes, we call them misses. And it was just incredible. I thought oh, it's so easy not to come. It's like it's never going to happen again. Um, but then once you have that miss, then the, I find that if I have sex then in the days afterwards, it's incredibly difficult not to come. So the longer you don't come, you're training your body not to do it. I mean, animals don't come very much. No, and you know, we're one of the few animals that, that, that do regularly orgasm so much. You know, every other, you know, okay, why, why are humans the ones with the have a little prostate cancer thing? I don't know, but we're certainly a strange animal that we're coming all the whole time because most of the other, other animal species aren't. They will only ejaculate when they're procreating. So, yeah, that's all in my book anyway. I've got the book. I enjoy reading it. 
Have you finished it? Well, I dip into it from time to time because it's like I haven't read it cover to cover, but it's quite nice to just flick to a page and be like, oh, well, today I'm going to read about open relationships or today about right. partying. Right, right. 50 misconceptions of sex. Yeah, I try to have like 50 small chapters so you could do exactly what you said, standalone, you know, bite-sized chunks of, you know, completely different, you know, topics often, you know. So, what, uh, talk a bit about like open relationship practices because this is something I'm beginning to explore with my girlfriend at the moment, just like very early stages, like just saying, all right, let's play around with people a little bit on nights out and see what happens. Um, yeah, you, you, you ask good questions, guys. I like this. Yeah, this is again another hot topic um, because they one of the surveys i read that of the like millennials and younger guys how old are you guys by the way i'm 26 and i'm 29 okay so are you millennials i, I don't understand i think uh, yeah yeah like i'm just about tail end of millennial i think okay. like yeah yeah right so you younger guys um they did a survey and they found that 50 percent of the millennials theoretically would like to have an open relationship, but very, very few of them are able to pull it off. I don't know what the statistic is, but very few people are able to actually have an open relationship, but you know, 50% would like that. I mean, that's just, that figure staggered me. And I, one of the things that I wanted to do this lifetime is try and find out how to tackle some of the biggest issues for humanity. And one of them is how do you keep families together? How do you stay attracted to your partner? How do you not fuck up your marriage or whatever by going and having a secret affair? Um, because, you know, you, you see so much um, of this lying and cheating and so on, because of course we're always attracted to other people. That's just how it is. You might deeply love one person and, and want to stay with them and so on but there's still going to be attraction to outside people. So what are the possibilities? One is you repress that urge, you put your blinkers on and you don't do it. Now, the challenge is that if my theory, for example, is correct, that we have these sexual fantasies and all these things that we want to do, most people are masturbating to something that they're not doing with their partner. They're not sitting there like masturbating to monogamy. <laughs> it's kind of rare, like, oh, yeah, same vagina for the next 20 years. Great. Um, <laughs> but, they're, you know, we're thinking like dirty little things like group sex or you know, same sex or, you know, cross-dressing or a little fetish stuff or that very often you don't do with your partner. You can't do bisexual stuff with one person. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just theoretically impossible. So then the question is, okay, how do we then skillfully deal with the attraction to other people? And that's why I kind of wrote that. There's, there's quite a few chapters in that book about monogamy and, you know, is is it's one of the big fears. A lot of people, especially women, say, oh, if I come to your courses and do tantrum, does that mean I have to have sex with other people? No, you don't at all. There's absolutely monogamous couples that will come to our workshop and they will just do all the exercise together. That's great. 
I mean, it's so much easier to be monogamous with some person. You don't have to worry about STDs. You don't have to worry about jealousy and comparison and all this stuff. It's much less drama being monogamous. Now, for some people, that's that's where they want to be. That's great, and I totally support that. But there's some people like yourselves that say, okay, but I would actually like to try and have an open relationship. Right, well, then you're going to have to do a shitload of work because you're going to have to deal with your insecurities and your jealousy issues. You know, what is jealousy? Jealousy is basically a fear of losing something that you value or, you know, I'm insecure, he, she might get fucked by a guy who's better fucking me or has a bigger dick or whatever. Uh, so it brings up a lot of our, often our really deep, not just shames, but fears, you know, insecurities. And that's why it's such fertile ground for growth. How do I deal with my insecurities? How do I deal with transparency? How do I feel, you know, so we say, if you want to start practicing um, open relationship, the best way we always say is we have like a whole bunch of points in my book about it. But the main one is if you want to do it, then talk about it, talk about the rules and transparency and thing. And then what you do is you invite a guy into your bed, not a woman. You invite another guy into your bed. It doesn't mean that you have to play with the other guy sexually. But it can be really fun to, to open up your woman and two guys together. Most women are fantasizing to it, vast, vast majority, right, of being fucked by two guys. Great. Team up with your brother and, you know, fuck your woman together. There's going to be a lot less drama. You try and bring two women together, you're going to have drama off. Um, and you're going to like, try and satisfy two women. I mean, don't even try that unless you can totally womb orgasm one woman open. You're not going to be able to satisfy two women. So, you know, and if you suddenly you're going to find the new one more interesting and attractive than your current one, then you can get into all that sort of problems and it's just a potential, you know, clusterfuck. <laughs> so, yes, well, that's what we say. You know, bring another guy in. Now, if you can then, you know, if you want to play with him and get over your homophobic stuff and suck his dick or something, then then cool. Then see if you like it or not. I mean, for me, the most straight guys are the ones that go, yeah, I've sucked the dick. It was fine. It was no big deal. <laughs> you know, whatever. Uh, I'm not so into it. But, yeah, it was fun. But they're kind of straight guys. A guy who's, oh, no, fucking, I would never suck a guy's dick. <laughs> you know, me thinketh he protesteth too much. You know. Um, there's probably something there. I mean, you know, guys that are, you know, I had some friends in Sydney when I lived there. I was like the straight guy that would hang out with all the gay guys. Um, you know, and a couple of my friends got gay bashed um, by like 10 guys. And then when he was lying and they got a bleeding to, you know, this uh, two of those guys came back and tried to have sex with them. You know, homophobia is, you know, generally a sign of latent homosexuality. Um so, you know, there's a whole bunch of good stuff that can happen in open relationship, but you've got to then, you know, work through your stuff. Mm. So one of the things that, that has been crossing my mind has to do with the role of technology, namely the pill and contraceptive technologies. 
in enabling so much of what modern sexuality has become in the last, you know, 70 years. Um, because before that, sex implied very likely pregnancy. Uh, so it, it, the consequences were very evident. Not so much right now. And so for the last 70 years, we've been dealing with the consequences of that. Um, is it, do you have a point of view on this also in light of how your practice of Tantra and sexuality are rooted in traditions that are older than 70 years? I'm not sure I totally mm. understand your question. Um, yeah. Just some comments on that, and then mm -hmm. we'll see if I answer it. it um, the the pill was a huge thing for you know the sexual revolution for when they could take control of their sexuality. And, you know that's all pretty well documented. Now in tantra, you know we don't have to worry about that because you're not coming, you're not ejaculating. Right. So that whole contraception issue is just not an issue for us because we don't do that. Right. Right. Okay. Interesting. Because um, one of the ways that I've been coming to understand Tantra versus Sutra, you know, in contact with Owen in contact with Alexander Bard has to do with this idea that <clears throat> Sutra is about the rules is about following the rules and Tantra is about being skillful and evolved enough to bend the rules. Uh, and it feels like the pill is kind of this silver bullet. All of, all of a sudden you get to bend the rules without any consequence. You get to have sex without consequences. You get to have free sex with however many people you want, you know, male to female without without pregnancy being a, a, a consequence. And uh, so that's what's been on my mind recently, really, trying to understand how, how, how restraints versus unleashing come to play here. Because, you know, I, I asked this in the previous question and it, it, it kind of remains true until now, which is I'm very interested in how this, this interplay between total, you know, like restraints, I will not come. How does that connect to, I will not come, but I'll let myself do anything else with, with, with a massive lack of restraint. And that sort of tension, you know, that's what I'm coming to understand being at the core of practices such as your own. And I don't know that that tension is paradoxical, but simultaneously very interesting. Agreed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I see. Oh, and do you have any? There wasn't well, a question. On that. No, no, no. There no, wasn't. wasn't. <laughs> What's in my head now is something I've heard like many of our tantric friends say is like the no tantra without sutra. So this not lapsing into one or the other kind of way of thinking. But for example, I've had recommendations from friends like, right, if you're going to start exploring the tantric path, 
make sure you've got a strong sutric foundation. Make sure you've got some kind of meditative or yogic practice, some kind of structure in your life so that when these intense flows of desires and the, the identity transformations that kind of come along with them happen, you are not just like being someone being thrown out of a boat into the open ocean. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. Yes. I, that's, that's a very good comment. And I think that if people do want to do this sort of path, it's exactly right. Get some discipline. Uh, a sutric path. I started in sutra. I started in very much, you know, making sure that I could control myself, that I wasn't just out of control and so on. And then as you get really good, as you're good at control, then you start to go into the more tantric way of building up and exploring more and more, you know, passion and more energy and more freedom. But it's good to be able to start in the opposite, which is the sutric stuff of controlling yourself and making sure that you can handle those things. And that's where people think, oh, Tantra is just about freedom to get hedonistic and do whatever I want, fuck whoever I want. No, no, no. You should, like you said, start with being able to really control yourself, convictions, um, you know, get your shit together, um, understand how to sit and meditate, you know, for hours and so on and control yourself and then go, okay, now I've done that. Now let's go into the more, you know, free and more open expressions of tantric activities. Mm. And it's interesting, right? Cause like I've also heard when I hear people criticizing the new tantra, one of the things I hear is that it's like using spirituality to be hedonistic or that it's, burning people out but from what the conversation we've had today it doesn't sound to me like that's anything like what you're recommending no no not at all i mean i think tantra is one of the is very misunderstood as i hear from other people they say yeah everybody's talking about you guys either they love you or they hate you (laughs) there's not a lot of in between in there and that's one of the things is oh marketing is you know, good marketing, um, you know, we're very controversial. And whenever we have something you know, controversial, like someone writing an article and how much they hate us or whatever, just seeing that our sales go up. People come along to the website and say, I just hear everyone, it's like they either love you or they hate you or they're criticizing you or they think you're great. And I just really wanted to come and see for myself what the hell this is all about. And most people, that come to our workshop say that and then they come along and they see you know it's it's the opposite of maybe what they'd heard that it is you know very kind of scientifically based as much as we can and being responsible and consensual and caring about other people and you know how do you love people how do you worship the feminine how do you you know control yourself how do you become a better person and sex is just a vehicle for that. You know, it's not just about, you know, being hedonistic, pleasure-seeking. Um, but that's, you know, that's an easy jab to, to throw at a, a wild and crazy, you know, tantra school like us is like, ah, I don't like them. It may be they just, you know, afraid of that part in themselves and they project that onto us. It's like, 
or the fears of what, you know, they would really like to do. I mean, most of them uh, really have problems with other people having too much sex. So generally people who aren't having sex themselves or don't have a good sex life. I don't think they've probably been criticized by someone who's having a sound a good, profound sex life. Um, the naysayers are very often, um, you know, not happy. They're discontent. So then they just, you know, want to throw their, their anger out through a keyboard at us. And But, you know, as I said, it it always seems to improve our sales. It's just as long as people are talking about it. The thing you can have in marketing is just you're not noticed. You're not ignored. And, um, you know, I would say in the last few years there's been an explosion of tantra schools, especially in Europe. Um, and where you know it's this big thing, tantra, tantra, tantra. And when we look at all their websites and we hear about them, about I think about probably ninety percent of them are RX students, the and stuff, and um, go and you know emulate it in their own way, which is a, is a huge compliment. It's like open up something that hasn't maybe been done before, even though Tantra is, you know, thousands of years old or something, um, where we've opened up things that have seemed to really help people and they might say, oh, I could do it better. I'm going to go do my thing. Like no one seems to get anywhere near the numbers that we get in our workshops. Um, but great, great. Let's get Tantra out there. Let's uh, let's spread the, the word and try and do it responsibly and, and uh, you know, safely and consensually and that become better people so i'm all for it um yeah mm. why is it that some people hate you guys so much is it like you said there's a people who are dissatisfied well, to actually project yeah i think uh, you know you've got this um dionysian apollo polyani whatever uh <laughs> no, that's happened from the beginning of time. Is the the free and wild um, Dionysian people are very much judged by the more controlled and safety conscious. Like you know, let's limit everything. Let's just be you know, all boring together. They don't like the wild, crazy ones. It's it's an age old you know from you know, Greek mythology. Um, it's this age-old conflict. So it's very easy to criticize someone, uh, a school that is on the kind of cutting edge of liberating and taking away shame. It's, it's scary stuff. And so it's just super easy to criticize. But, yeah. And uh, have you found that, um, you know, is... is is Tantra in the way that you understand it only applicable to sex or are other things also perhaps vehicles for this transformative type of energy? Um, I'm thinking specifically about things like anger. Do you reckon? That yes. Yes. So yeah. as I said, we, you know, we have, yeah, we have like 10 levels in the new Tantra and sex is only the first three levels. And then there's a whole, you know, life's purpose. Uh, how do you do men's group, women's groups? How do you use anger? How do you, 
um, meditate? How do you transform and, and receive critical, uh, constructive criticism? Um, how do you deal with your ego? How do you deal with prayer? How do oh. you deal with surrender? So there's there are the all the higher levels that we go to. It's just that everyone seems to want to talk about sex, uh -huh. so we'll, we'll talk about it. But for me, that is just the beginning. And what are the tools, uh, you know, that are involved in those levels? Because we've spoken about some of those sexual tools, but we haven't spoken so much about the tools involved in other levels, other flows, other abilities within the human system. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I'll, I'll briefly go through our, our 10 levels. And this is kind of like an old system. They don't use this system so much now because we I'm not there and, and there's some of these levels are not available. So level one is all just the theory stuff of the, the not coming and so on. Clothes on, super safe, you know, just getting the theoretical framework. Level two, uh, but there's a level zero, which is dealing with the primal um, therapy and cognitive to understand your stuff. Like you should have a strong base in therapy and dealing with stuff, even before you start doing mm -hmm. tantra is, is my recommendation. So then level two is off doing the dearmoring, the anus and the vagina, learning how to actually have sex. Um, level three is the wildest level. And that's where the, the sex stops after level three is you basically do your fantasies. You, you write them up on the board, your top fantasy, and then everyone fulfills each other's fantasies. And it's completely wild and crazy. And it's, yeah. So that gets you to the point that then you've done all your fantasies and then you can stop thinking about damn sex and you can move on. Level four is um, where you go into devotion. You go into prayer. You go into surrender practices. And we would do things like we'd say, okay, you're going to lead a group of five people through an exercise for 10 minutes and they're going to rate you to zero to 10 honestly how open them up to god so they'll go and do this and they would just fail badly you know and we'd take the average score of every person and the average you know would be one and a half two and then we'd teach them how to surrender how to be devotional how to pray to not you know God or a specific guru or anything, but just their higher power, whatever they can relate to, whatever God form they, and they would go and do the same exercise again once they had prayed and we teach them how to pray in a non kind of dogmatic way, but in a way, a really open hearted, vulnerable way, and then do the exercise. And then the average score up to around about eight in performance level. So it was kind of like a, a semi-scientific way to you know, prove how to, you know, get humble and, and let spirit move through you. So that's level four. Level five is uh, constructive criticism. You get in groups of five, you research and call um, other, their, it's the person in the middle, their friends, their family, and you find out what people actually really think about them and that don't say to their face that they wouldn't be able to sustain their friendship if they said to their face. And they take all that energy, they compare it together, and then you put that one person in the middle and say, okay, this is what people really think of you. Generally, they think you're a great guy and you're really cool and you're honest, but here's your shadow side. And they tell you how your ego is operating. 
and it's her- horrendous. It's horrible. And most of the people who hate TNT with a passion are people that have gone through that workshop and saw something about themselves they didn't like, and then they just kind of kick it back on, on TNT. Now, we used to do that feedback ourselves, which was very dangerous, because if that person can't handle that constructive criticism and can't feel that you did it trying to serve them, they can put on it. They don't understand me. They hate me. They've got a personal vigilante against me, and I'm going to hate them and criticize them. And, and you know, most of our harsh critics are people that, that you know, we got too close to their ego and showed them a dark side of themselves that they could not accept and then put it out on, on us and called us the devil and, you know, whatever. So that's level five. Um, but, you know, I would say if, if you can survive that one, that's one of the most powerful transformation tools is to, to really look at your own shadow side and then give them tools how to deal with that stuff. And, you know, you can grow incredibly from that. Level six is where um, we would used to um, do prayer and ceremony together um, and, you know, we used to uh, drink like kava kava, which is a, a natural tonic in America, which is, you know, has no hallucinatory effects or anything like that. But it does seem to slow down the talking to ourselves mind. And if I could go into a spiritual state called a satori, I could then transmit that to other people when they're a little bit more open just from not thinking so much. And people could go into you know, a Satori, which is kind of like a temporary enlightened state where you suddenly look at yourself and you can see yourself from a higher perspective and you see your mind and your ego and your body doing stuff and you can kind of detach from it. It's kind of like an out-of-body experience, but you're all of a sudden entered into the world and everything kind of turns to light and kind of not like light, bright light, but things fluoresce in a kind of subtle green thing. And it's incredibly pleasurable and we would just spend two days uh in uh, that sacred ceremony space um but we can't do that workshop now because i don't need that workshop and no one's been in satori since i left tnt so it's a you know i'm not interested really in teaching anymore so that level was not offered level uh seven is life's purpose stuff where you sit for a week in absolute darkness, um, isolation, no sound, you've got earplugs on, you're sitting uh, with a whole bunch of other people, maybe 50 other people, and you just sit for a week and you consider, um, you know, why am I here? What's my life's purpose? And interesting processes happen in that and you get to see what you're perhaps resisting, what you need to face and deal with that. Level eight is a teacher training where we train people um, how to do like the TNT massage, which is this whole massage I designed that can really open up the body and um, leads to quite interesting yogic things happening in the body. Um, but also we train like the gigolos how, and um, the femdoms, how the women can learn how to dominate men tantrically, the guys how to become tantric gigolos, this, and, or a teacher training where they learn how to be a teacher in whatever they wanted to teach in their own right. And it's very, very tough, level eight. Um, we have very high standards um, that you have to be really good to teach anything with the TNT. And uh, that's why I think we have some, a lot of very good t- 
teachers in the new tantra. And that's why I step back to allow those guys to do that. And then level nine is about how do you meditate? How do you um, go into a space where what I call daytime dream yoga, where you <laughs> watch yourself as if you're watching from consciousness, the same consciousness that is there watching yourself dream at night. You get to the same place where you can watch yourself, your body in this waking dream and expand consciousness um, through that. So that's level nine. And then level 10 we don't have because that's the whole kind of enlightenment thing. But who knows if that's even real or how to do that because I certainly can't. Um, so level 10 is the kind of ultimate goal, which none of us are qualified and probably no one on this earth right now is qualified to kind of teach because there doesn't seem to be too many enlightened people in this world right now. So that's the 10 levels. Wow. Wow. Some of those levels seem really intense. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And then... Mm. How many people have done all 10 levels? Well, no one's done all 10 levels. Um, mm. how, how many people have done non nine levels? Um, a lot, a lot. Okay. Maybe, I don't know, 100, 150 mm. people. You know, but, you know, thousands of people have been through our workshops. So, done all levels, uh, maybe 200. I don't know. I'm not sure. I'd have to ask Paris, but mm -hmm. yeah. Quite a lot of people have done all the levels. Remarkable. Level five is the fucker. I can see oh. that because like oh. getting that that ego feedback and really just seeing that shadow side, especially in like a, a spiritual ritual space around people who are actually trusted. Like if someone goes, oh, and you're a bitchy manipulative asshole, and I can say, oh, yeah, fuck off, whatever. But if it's someone who I look up to in a fucking ritual space, then I think that's going to hurt. Yeah, yeah, it hurts like fuck that level. It's, it's, you've got to be strong mentally. To You have to really work through a lot of stuff to, um, to, to deal with that, you know. And, and that was one of the mistakes that we made in New Tantras in the early days. We, you know, would take, you know, people who were just not ready for that stuff. And, um, you know, they would say yes, and they would pay their money, and they would, I really want to hear what people say, but, you know, we attracted some quite mentally unready, not strong enough people in the early days, people who, you know, wanted to be fixed or healed by us. Um, we are not a, you know, healing therapy kind of thing. It's just these are workshops. So, yeah, you, you have to really, and that's why I said we switched from us as the facilitators giving that feedback. That was really dangerous because then some people would just hate you after that. It's more difficult if you've just got five random strangers in your group and you're all just trying to help each other. It's much more difficult to project your anger on one person after that. Mm, when you've not got someone who's like in that guru position of teaching. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And that's why I stepped out of it. I, I just, I just got sick of being in that teacher position and people acting all weird around you and all the projections and all the, I mean, you just, you know, you see some people just 
outright lie or hate you or just even though you're trying to help them. So I was like, ah, fuck it. I'm done. I'm out of here. Do you learn anything else over those 10 years of doing it about the, about the spiritual path? Sorry, I, I, I you dropped out for a moment. I mean, I pulled out. I was wondering, yeah, so I was wondering, like, I guess you mentioned you learned <laughs> about being selective, about who comes up and moves through it. Were there any other, like, serious learnings about what it means to walk a tantric path or even a spiritual path full stop over that how many years was it 10 years you were doing tnt yeah um a lot i have had yeah we made a lot of mistakes in the days because this was very uncharted territory so yeah it's i i was very naive when i first started the new tantra and i just kind of thought that people were intrinsically good and that they you know all wanted to grow and they wanted to learn and things and then i kind of saw over time that that's it's more the exception the person who really really wants to grow and and see their shadow side and deal with that stuff so that was probably one of the biggest learnings for me is yeah not all people really want to grow and learn and you know the kind of vigor and gusto that i did i mean i was kind of crazy i would just go to uh you know the toughest teachers i could find and say tell me all my shit just lay it on me and i thought most people were like that and then i realized, like no most people want to feel good about themselves and stroke their ego and they don't like when that is challenged so yeah that was that was one of the big learnings what was your journey as a student like? I wanted to ask this at the start, but we never got there. Like, because I'm super curious, where did <laughs> Alex Vartman, the TNT, I come from? Yes, um, I, I've, I love being a student. So I've always travelled um, around the world trying to find. Um, trying to find teachers that could challenge me. So I went to India, I studied uh, with a, um, you know, I went to Osho Ashram, studied. I mean, I would, I've studied, looked into, you know, there's some good technology, even in Scientology. It's often there's good things, even though the, the institution or whatever might be kind of corrupt or whatever. There's some, you know, there's often gems. So I went to a lot of different schools, a lot of, any workshop that I found, I did a huge amount of therapy. Um, I did um, meditation workshops and visited gurus in India and and uh, other tantra teachers and things. And I, I don't know, I must have gone to like 20, 30, 40 different teachers and so on. And I was always very lucky that, you know, I would kind of step into these places and, and they would, for some reason, um, welcome me with open, open arms and like, oh, you know, have a lot of kind of respect for me. And I managed to get into kind of like the inner circles of some very, very um, influential teachers and things and taken under their wing. And I'm very grateful to all my teachers. And and um, and then it got to a point where it's like, no, I want to do something that's kind of more weird and different. And, and I, you know, want to branch out 
um, and do something unique. And, you know, I can't do that under anyone else's name because, you know, it might be kind of, I don't want to embarrass them or, you know, you know, okay, there's our great student, Alex, wearing a dress. It's like, you know, <laughs> I'm not the kind of, you know, trophy student like that. So then I just, okay, I'm just going to branch off and do my own thing. And um, so that's where I started doing the new Tantra. And that's why, as I said before, I wanted to call it the new Tantra just so I could be free from having to follow other traditions or lineages or whatever. So, yeah, that's it in a nutshell. I know some people are like, they struggle with that idea of breaking away from a tradition and trying to start something new. There's like the, I guess the traditionalist, right? Who are like, no, if you're doing Tantra, it needs to be Tantra. It's been done for 2000 years or else you're gonna, you're gonna, <laughs> I don't know. It's going to crash and burn horribly somehow. I mean, I, I don't really agree with that perspective. I'm all for innovation and exploration. I think I come from quite a like artistic background where it all seems to be like a lot of this stuff. I always think, many of these practices it's kind of about the art of being a human being and finding new ways to play symphonies with the human soul almost and if you can come up with a uh, with a new instrument or a new sound then why not try it exactly and i'm all kind of like you know, if you want to do traditional stuff great do traditional stuff if you want to do new stuff great i don't care you know no. i don't have an opinion about what other people should be doing in their practice. It's none of my business. So, you know, why are people so up, you know, into my business and say, oh, this is right, oh, this is wrong. You know, the bottom line question is, how much does it help that person? Does doing traditional sutric stuff help someone? Some people it will, some people it won't. How much does it actually radically change their sex life? You know, that's why at the start of my book, I said, you know, we'll challenge any tantra school in the world, you know, to who who does the tantric sexual practices best. Just, okay, we'll just line up a couple of women and, um, you know, get our top guys to fuck them or your top guys to fuck them. And straight away, those women will know who's got the best tantric practice. It's, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, I speak French. Oh, really? Okay, well, let's start speaking French and see if you actually can do it. Um you know, I, I would, and I always put that challenge out there. Like, if you think your tantra is stronger, use your traditional two thousand year old tantric stuff, and let's put it together with our modern stuff, and let's just see who's is best. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever works. Whatever works. That's fine. Fantastic. You're reaching a point where we can wrap this up. Like I need to finish in, in a few minutes anyway. Um, Daniel, I don't know if you had any final thoughts or comments at all. None at all. I'm still digesting so much of what was said here. Uh, kind of buzzing, but it was a fantastic conversation from my side at least. It was great to hear. Yes. Great questions. I loved it. I very enjoyed hanging with you guys likewise <laughs> it's good to meet you like i've heard your name from many people 
I know many of your students, and uh, now I get to meet the uh, <laughs> the elusive Alex or Alex. Uh, let everyone digest themselves. Great. All right, guys, we'll take care. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Alexa. Likewise. Thank you for your time and uh, happy meditating. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Back to All my right. boring meditation practice. All right. <laughs> See ya. Ciao. Alrighty, bye. -bye. bye.